When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. This is People Every Day. Coming up, Iman opens up like never before in this week's cover story. Five years after the death of husband David Bowie, the supermodel takes people inside their epic, decades-long romance. Plus, Vanessa Bryant is ordered to submit her therapy records. And will Britney get the Oprah treatment? It's November 17th. Hi there, this is People Every Day, and I'm your host, Janine Rubenstein. It is Wednesday, and the headlines are pouring in, you guys. So I'm just going to jump in and splash around, taking you through some of the big ones quickly before we dig in a little deeper. So first... Britney Spears might be heading over to Oprah's backyard soon. The conservatorship free star responded to a fan who asked her, what's she going to do now that the conservatorship is over? She answered, posting a video to Instagram that read, I might as well do a hint of my thoughts on the gram before I go and set things square on Oprah. I mean, who knows? (laughs) She continued, just grateful, honestly, for each day, being able to have the keys to my car, being able to be independent and feel like a woman and owning an ATM card, seeing cash for the first time, and being able to buy candles. Wow. Well, on to someone who is getting the Ellen treatment very soon, Duchess of Sussex. Meghan Markle is hitting that famous chair tomorrow. In a new teaser released by Ellen, Markle gets candid and gives a glimpse into life as a struggling actress before she was royal. And boy, was it glamorous. (laughs) Take a listen. I had this very, very old Ford Explorer Sport, and at a certain point, the the key stopped working on the driver's side, so you couldn't get yourself in through the door. So after auditions, I would park at the back of the parking lot, and I would open the trunk and climb in, and then pull it shut behind me and crawl over all my seats to get out. That's how I would come to and fro. The struggle was real. Another headline heating up the internet is that now the script supervisor on Alec Baldwin's Deadly Rust set has filed suit against him and other producers. Most notably, Mamie Mitchell claims in her filing that, quote, there was nothing in the script indicating that a firearm was to have been discharged. This just raises even more questions. And another day, another Astroworld lawsuit as well. Now both Travis Scott and Drake, who joined him on stage for a bit at Astroworld Festival as the deadly crowd surge took place, 
They both have been named in a new $750 million lawsuit brought by a Houston lawyer on behalf of 125 victims. Following the initial statements Scott and Drake posted to social media in the wake of the tragedy that's claimed 10 lives now, uh, neither rappers have spoken out about this latest suit. But Drake is making headlines for some other reasons today. He and Ye, formerly Kanye West, have apparently squashed their 12-year-long beef. Yesterday, Ye shared a photo on Instagram of himself alongside Drake and Houston music mogul Jay Prince together in Toronto. Rumor has it they are both ready to move on and might have a peacemaking performance in the works. And then there's the news about Vanessa Bryant and her lawsuit against Los Angeles County over the handling of the deaths of husband Kobe Bryant and daughter Gigi back in 2020. The court has issued a surprising new order for Bryant and hopping on now to break this news down for us is People.com sports editor Lindsay Kimball. Take it away, Lindsay. Vanessa is currently seeking damages for emotional distress and mental anguish after L.A. County Sheriff's Department deputies allegedly took not permitted graphic photographs of the helicopter crash's nine victims and then shared them with unauthorized people. She also recently filed a motion accusing the county of a cover-up and then asking department personnel to delete the photos. Now, previously, L.A. County had requested Vanessa undergo a psychiatric evaluation to prove that the leaked photos have caused her emotional distress, but a judge struck that down, which was a win for Vanessa. But this week, Vanessa was ordered to turn over her mental health records starting back in 2017, years before the crash. Now, an attorney for the county has called this standard procedure. Interesting. Thanks, Lindsay. All right. I'm here now with one of my favorite people at People, East Coast news editor Liz McNeil, to talk about a story we've been dying to tell you all about for weeks now. Iman, the uber-private supermodel turned philanthropist, gave People a rare interview for this week's cover story. In it, she talked about her decades-long relationship with the late David Bowie and how she and their children are coping with his death five years on. It's a great interview, you guys. You have to read it. And I'm so lucky to have Liz here with me now to dig into all of it. Hi, Liz. Hi, Janine. Well, this interview is one of those that will make even cynics believe in love, right? What an epic romance. But before we dig into what Iman said about their relationship, let's introduce her as an individual. She was a successful model long before she met Bowie. So Iman, of course, as we all know, is a supermodel, and she was a phenomenon in her own right. You know, uh, all the great French designers fell in love with her. She inspired Yves Saint Laurent in one of his collections. And, you know, she was um, one of the women who defined what it was to be a supermodel. And she's also uh, somebody who uses her platform for good. She um, is now a global advocate for care, uh, talks a lot about the plight of refugees. So she's a powerhouse in her own right. Absolutely. Well, it sounds like David fell hard for her. I mean, how could you not? And, and went out of his way to win her over. So let's take a listen to what she said about that. I was doing my last fashion show. I was because I retired. I was retiring that time. But I had one last show that I committed to. And it was my friend Terry Mugler's show. And he first, his first couture show. So that was my last show. So I went to Paris to do the show. And when I got to Paris at the hotel, my whole room was filled with flowers. And then when I came back to L.A., again, he did the same thing. He came to pick me up from the airport. So when the doors of the plane opened, I was looking at these people. 
really excited about something and trying to take a picture of somebody. I had no idea who it was. And was they, oh my goodness, just like rolling out the red carpet, of course. And that takes me back to those days that you could just pick someone up at the airport right at the window as soon as they stepped off. Remember that? It was good for romance. It was very good for romance. Well, well, t- what else did they? she tell you about the early days of their relationship and marriage? I just want to kind of live in this. <laughs> oh, I mean, I wanted to know absolutely everything. Like, I was like, what, were you nervous on your first date? And of course, the best part of it was that, right, he was more nervous than she was. And he's asking her to come in the car with me because they ended up going to a club because there was a musician he wanted to check out. And she's And she's like... I'm going to drive my own car. And uh, and then uh, he, at a certain point in the evening, she goes to the restroom and uh, David walks her uh, to the ladies' room, waits for her, uh, brings her back. Uh, and then at the end of the night, he asks her, um, you know, are you free tomorrow? Uh, would you like to go for tea? And then when they get there, she said David was so nervous, didn't know what to say. And then she finds out he doesn't drink tea. So then they leave that place, <laughs> go get coffee. and uh, And then she's off to Paris. And he fills the room with gardenias. And then um, there he is when she comes back. And as she says in her very Iman-esque way, he properly wooed me. So he, he, he wooed her to smithereens and then they tied the knot. Take me into the wedding just a little bit. Well, first we have to talk about the proposal. She was telling me as they sailed um, under all the bridges of Paris that he arranged for every time they went under one of the bridges that the bridge would light up. Oh, that's like destined. I mean, that's beyond. <laughs> that's like beyond. Yes. And he gets down on one knee and he uh, proposes with a, a diamond and sapphire ring that she had shown him a year before when they were uh, in Florence. And uh, I said, you know, did you have to think about it? Uh, and she's like, of course not. She's like, of course I said yes. So uh, anyway, she says yes. Uh, they had a, a beautiful um, wedding, but she said more, pretty small, about 75 people in mm-hmm. Florence. Uh, David wrote a song, you know, it was absolute beautiful day. And then they had the most, of course, romantic of honeymoons. And he took her, she said it was a three month long oh, honeymoon. Oh, okay. Uh, I think it was Kyoto, Japan, <laughs> Bali, one other place. And they were for three weeks in Bali, which she said was one of David's Lord. favorite places. Oh, my goodness. Where, where are, Who has the rights to this? Because this love story, I, I can't believe it hasn't been done yet. Let's, let's go into their life as parents, because she and David each had a child from a previous relationship. But in 2000, they welcomed their daughter together, Alexandria. So talk about what Iman said about that journey and and what was David like as a father? Yeah, and I love that she was really candid. You know, this is something as we know that sometimes it's hard to talk about, uh, you know, the difficulties in in getting pregnant. She said they even were at the point where they didn't know if it was going to happen for them, right? She has an older daughter. David also has a son, Duncan. Uh, they tried IVF. Uh, she got pregnant uh, at 44, had the baby at 45. And one of my favorite lines, she's like, I don't know why they talk about the miracle of birth. It's the miracle of conception, which I think we will all agree with. And she just said David was over the moon. And of course, I'm like, I always ask everybody, who's the strict one mm-hmm, in the marriage? And she said he he couldn't be strict about anything. She said he thought life gets hard enough later on. Oh, that's such a good point. I know, right? And the great thing about their life in New York was, is that, as she said, right, they were able to hide in plain sight. David uh, went to all of his favorite bookstores. Um, they really just got to be, you know, regular New Yorkers. Next up, more with People's Liz McNeil inside her sit-down with supermodel Iman. Stay tuned. 
everyone. I'm Sid Evans, Editor-in-Chief of Southern Living and host of Biscuits and Jam. Since 2020, I've been interviewing musicians, chefs, authors, and other Southern icons about their family traditions, their faith, their favorite meals, and of course, what it means to be Southern. And I'm excited to announce Season 5 of our award-winning podcast. Join me every Tuesday for new conversations with some of the most interesting and influential Southerners around. Be sure to follow Biscuits and Jam wherever you get your podcasts. You can also find us online at southernliving.com slash biscuits and jam. I'm back now with people's Liz McNeil talking all things Iman and David Bowie. So Liz, I love the part in your interview about how their daughter didn't know her dad was David freaking Bowie until she was seven and saw a poster of him and was like, why is that picture of my dad up there? Right, because right, his name, his real name is David Jones, right, from working class London. And so her name uh, was uh, Alexandria Jones. So right, one day they're walking home, uh, Lexi's about seven, and she says, well, that's daddy. But then she asked her mom, well, why is he called Bowie? And... Uh, <laughs> She said, ask, I think she said, that's a stage name, uh, ask your dad. So in, in many ways, um, Bowie was light years ahead of his time. Uh, he had a fluidity really to his music and his style that we see artists like Harry Styles mimic today. And he was incredibly inclusive. He's become an icon for the LGBTQ plus community, which Iman said she always finds really moving. Let's listen to what she had to say on that. He was the kind of an artist that he did it and left it there, you know, and it's always great to to see, uh, you know, the LGBTQ community, you know, that when 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 they speak about him, that they 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 feel that there's somebody who was an ally to them and that uh, that actually made a lot of young people feel because of his existence that they can exist. Mm. Well, what else did she say? I, I'm just wondering how she kind of looks back on his legacy as a whole? Um, you know, I think she talked just for for somebody like him who, like that art was everywhere in their lives and that she, she used this term sifting, that like he took everything in, art, painting, sculpture, uh, people, um, all different kinds of music and everything sort of goes in and then sifts down into his creation, right? And his music. And we talked a lot about inclusivity because I did ask her, what was it like to be a biracial couple? Um, was it something yeah. you talked about? And she said, the thing, and she, she said, you know, she never had to explain anything to David. There's, of course, the very famous MTV interview, right, where he's being interviewed on MTV. And he says to them, well, how come uh, it's only Prince and Michael Jackson in terms of black musicians? And uh, the guy sort of fumbles for an answer. And uh, he talks about, you know, you need to serve all of your audience. You need to serve all the young kids out there who, who want to hear all different types of artists. It's evident in the fact that the only few black artists that one does see are on about 2.30 in the morning or, in, or to around 6. Very few are featured predominant, no. predominantly during the day. No, that, uh, that's a... I'll say that over the last couple of weeks, these things have been changing, but it, it's, no, uh, it's a I... slow process. Woke way back before woke, like just really, you know, speaking to the issues. And, and that's that's awesome. The idea that she, you know, that that's not something that uh, a hurdle that they would have to overcome in terms of their understanding of all of that cultural stuff. Yeah. And like when you think about his music and all of his like that creative energy, like 
almost like for everything and everybody, right? He's always like looking out, taking mm. it in, sifting yeah. it, putting it out there again, right? And then when you look yeah. at all of his personas and all the genres of music and how he was always experimenting, right? Always pushing, um, that that was something that uh, was already, was just part of who he was. Yeah. Well, David Bowie died of liver cancer in 2016, just two days after the release of his final album, Black Star. Uh, what insight did she have about those final months and, and how how are she and the kids doing now? I think certain things uh, she does keep private uh, in terms of some of those details about the final months. But she yeah. did say something that one of the first things she said in the interview was she was talking about David and she said, uh, from the very beginning, she said, up until the uh, the very end, she said David would never let her walk on the outside of the sidewalk. Mm. So I thought, oh, maybe that was her way of just saying that right up until the end, you know, he, he was always himself and sort of always looking out for her. And in terms of how she's doing now, um, yeah. I think she said at the beginning, you know, she had to be the mom, right? Her older daughter is 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 significantly older. Lexi's, uh, I think, about 21. And um, she had to be parents or, you know, she, as she said, raise her, you know, get her daughter ready, get their daughter ready for adulthood. And she thought that, you know, she had gone through the grief that, you know, she had dealt with it. But then she realized once Lexi was gone in college, uh, she realized that she hadn't really processed her grief. So she talks mm-hmm. a lot about going through those feelings, um, sort of like uh, uh, being surrounded by all of David's things, his books, his art. She wore his cologne and sort of doing all these things, being surrounded by him, um, watching the sunset, which is something they used to love to do together. It made her oh. feel like this was... She what wanted to... going to make me cry? I know. It's, 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 unbel- it's, like, it's the most epic love story. But she decided she wanted to do something and create something, right, in honor of their of their love story. And I think also to remind people to not take it for granted. And so she developed this beautiful um, uh, fragrance called Love Memoir. Oh my goodness. Well, you touched on her comments about them being soulmates and, and even that right there is, you know, pointed to that. But, but what she told you about their connection is so powerful. So just to end us out, like, can you share like what she said about why they were just kind of twin souls? Well, you know, at the beginning, when I was asking her about the meeting, she feels it was destiny. So she's in L.A. And then she's kind of like, why did I even move to L.A.? I don't even like L.A. I had never intended to move to California. It's not one of my favorite places, California. It's so vast and you don't really connect with people because you're always in your car. So it was never. I have no idea why I moved there. But I personally believe now that was my destiny. My destiny was calling me to get there so I can meet David. So she really feels there's this element of destiny in their love story. And so now looking back, you know, I asked her, of course, a lot about sadness and how she felt and how she was dealing with the loss. And I think now um, it's almost six years later, she feels like he's with her in some way. You know, she and she uh, told this story where somebody referred to David as her late husband. And she said, he's not my late husband. He's my husband. I love that. So they have a connection that it definitely felt destined, you know, and uh, and uh, and then as she said, she feels he's ever present. 
that was People's East Coast News Editor Liz McNeil on this week's cover star, Iman, who has just released her new fragrance, Love Memoir, available now on HSN. For more on this story, head over to People.com. And now, something to make you smile. Two families are forever bonded after their kids became husband and wife. It all began when childhood besties Ruth Cohen and Sherry Rosenstein got pregnant at the same time and gave birth weeks apart. So their kids, Adam and Maddie, met when they were four months old, shared their first kiss at prom, and remained connected after being 900 miles apart during college. Each had mutual feelings for the other, so they began dating. Four years later, in 2018, Adam popped the big question at the exact same spot in San Francisco where they hung out as kids with their families. Here's how they describe their love story. We really feel like we've won the game of life. Um, (laughs) I think, you know, we were born for each other. The happy couple, both 26 years old, said, I do in October. So sweet. Well, I will leave you with all that love that we just got into and talk to you guys tomorrow. Tomorrow. 